We have been uh, studying the covenants of God with men as revealed to us in the scriptures. And more recently, we've been focusing our attention on the new covenant of God with his people as revealed to us, first of all, in the prophets of the Old Testament, but also in various places in the New Testament. And we have turned our attention to the book of Hebrews. And last time we looked at Hebrews chapter 7, which teaches us that our Lord Jesus Christ is a better priest, a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and is therefore surety of a better covenant. What I want to do this time is look at Hebrews chapter 8 and the first part of chapter 9, which is a kind of extension of the teaching of Hebrews chapter 7 though the apostle here at the beginning of chapter 8 begins a new section. That's very clear when he says, Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. And then he goes on to talk again about the high priest. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So he begins this chapter by summing up what has been said before, using somewhat different language than he has used before. He teaches us that this high priest that we have, our Lord Jesus Christ, is seated at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. And that should remind us of Hebrews chapter 1, the very early verses of that chapter, where he says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is, as our high priest, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, a minister of the sanctuary and of the tabernacle erected by the Lord. So here the focus is not on his sacrifice, as in chapter 7, but on his being seated at the right hand of God and as uh, on his acting as a minister of the new sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary. And of course, when we talk about the sanctuary and the tabernacle, we are talking about the house of God, which in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is the fulfillment of his promise, I will be your God and the God of your seed. There are, according to this passage, two tabernacles. There was the old earthly tabernacle into which the Levitical priests entered, and there is in the New Testament a new tabernacle, the true tabernacle, which the Lord himself erected and not man. And this tabernacle is, of course, the heavenly tabernacle, in fact, heaven itself. And our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in that tabernacle. That tabernacle is therefore a better tabernacle than the tabernacle of the Old Testament. As priest, our Lord Jesus Christ uh, must have something to offer. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. 
the law would prevent it, and because he would not be a priest, he would have nothing to offer. But those Old Testament priests who were appointed by the law served a copy of the true tabernacle, which the apostle says in verse 5, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But Jesus has a better ministry in the true tabernacle. Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So this is where he ends up in the first uh, part of this chapter. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the minister of the true tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle, and there he has a more excellent ministry than the priests of the Old Testament, and he is the mediator between God and man of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now those promises are in essence, the same as the promises foreshadowed in the Old Testament. They are the promises of atonement, the promises of God uh, cleansing his people, the promise of God dwelling with his people in his house, and so on. The, The promises are the same. They are called better promises because those promises have been carried over to the New Testament, are now fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, in part, and we are waiting for their complete fulfillment when we ourselves go into that heavenly tabernacle where our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ has gone there by the shedding of blood, the shedding of his own blood, and as we saw, that's a better sacrifice which brings us nearer to God than the Old Testament sacrifices could do. In verses 7 to 13, then, the apostle goes back to the Old Testament and to Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, along with Jeremiah chapter 31, that the first covenant, and he means here the Mosaic covenant given at Mount Sinai, was a faulty covenant, and therefore a place was sought for a second. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. The covenant, therefore, of the Old Testament was faulty, and it was faulty, of course, in that it was shadowy, in that it could not, therefore, bring the people as near to God as God wanted them to be. And this is the what Jeremiah says. Now, we've talked about that passage in Jeremiah in the past, and we're not going to go into that passage in detail here. But in quoting from Jeremiah, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And he does this because, the beginning of verse 8, he finds fault with them, that is, with the people. There's fault in the covenant, but there's also fault in the people. 
And because of the fault in the people, the Lord is going to make a new covenant. And this is going to be a better covenant than he made with his people in the Old Testament. It's not according to the Mosaic covenant, verse 9, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. And then he goes into describing that new covenant, also in terms of Jeremiah 31. There are four things that we may say about that new covenant. He will write the law on the hearts and minds of his people, not any longer on tablets tablets of stone. He will be their God and they will be his people. That's very important because it shows us that this is the same promise that he gave to his people in the Old Testament. I will be your God and you will be my people. The third thing he says here is they will all know him. There will be, therefore, no need for a Levitical priesthood to mediate between God and his people so that God and his people can come as close together as possible by means of that priesthood. No, they will all know him directly without the mediation of that earthly priesthood. And the Lord will also forgive their sins. That forgiveness of sins was, of course, foreshadowed by the burnt offerings and sin offerings and trespass offerings of the Old Testament. And it was through those offerings that the priests were able to enter into the old tabernacle. But now he forgives sins through the blood of Christ. And Christ, therefore, has entered into the heavenly tabernacle, a better tabernacle than that old one. This new covenant, then, makes the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, obsolete, and it vanishes away. In that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So, the, the new covenant displaces, makes obsolete, causes to vanish away the old covenant. And that means, of course, that there can be no return to that old covenant. That's very significant for the Jewish Christians to whom the apostle was writing. They wanted to return to the old covenant. He says, that's obsolete. That's vanishing away. You cannot go back to it. God has brought that old covenant to an end, and he has replaced it with a new covenant. And in fact, God made sure that that old covenant was finished forever by destroying the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the sacrifices, and everything associated with the ceremonial law. All of it had been fulfilled in Christ. It no longer could stand and must not stand any longer. The new covenant has taken its place. So chapter 7 then focuses on the priesthood of Christ, and this chapter 2, but on his mediation of the new covenant as he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's turn then to Hebrews chapter 9 
And we are going to be looking here just at the first part of this chapter. We're going to save uh, the second part of the chapter, verses 16 and following, for our next study, because that's a very significant uh, part of the Apostles' teaching here. So we'll be dealing just with Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. The word covenant also appears uh, numerous times in this chapter. You find it in verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. In verses 4 and 5, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant and the tablets of the covenant. And uh, verse 16 also, which is in the second part of the chapter, for where there is a testament or covenant, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. And in verse 20 as well, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. So in this first part of the chapter, the apostle begins by focusing on the earthly sanctuary. And he describes that earthly sanctuary, first of all, in verses 1 to 5. He says of that earthly sanctuary that it had ordinances of divine service and an earthly sanctuary, a holy place to which God was bringing his people symbolically anyway through the priesthood and the furnishings of that uh, sanctuary, the lampstand, the table, the bread, the altar of incense, the ark, the pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, the tables of the covenant, the cherubim, and so on. All of these were part of that divine service, that holy place, into which the priests of the Old Testament entered. So he just names the various um, furnishings of the holy place itself. But in verses 6 to 10, then, he points us to the limitations of this sanctuary. And that's a very important part of this, too. It shows us the limitations, if you will, the fault of that old covenant. He says, verse 6, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the service. So when all the tabernacle had been built and all the the furnishings had been put into place, the priests began to perform their ministry, their divine service in that tabernacle. But they went only into the first part. They could not go beyond the first, the first part of the tabernacle into the second part, that is, into the most holy place itself. That was one limitation. The priests could enter only into the first part. However, the high priest could enter into the second part, into the most holy place. But this, too, had its limitations. He could go into that second part, that most holy place, only once a year. Not whenever he wanted, not every day, but only once a year. 
And when he went, he had to bring blood with him every time he went in. But into the second part, the holy pray, uh, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. So the priest would go there once a year. He would go with blood, and every time he had to make bring more blood. Every time he went, he had to bring more blood. And that blood had to be offered for himself and for the people. He was not a perfect priest, and therefore he had to bring blood even for himself. And that blood was for sins committed in ignorance, the apostle says. And if you look back at the early chapters of Leviticus, at the places in Leviticus where Moses describes the sin offering and the trespass offering, you will see that those offerings, the sin offering and the trespass offering, were for sins committed in ignorance. So these were limitations of that earthly tabernacle. The priests went only into the first part. The high priest went into the second part, but only once a year, always bringing blood, many sacrifices of blood, therefore, for himself as well as for the people, and only for sins committed in ignorance. And the apostle goes on then to say that these limitations signified because of the work of the Holy Spirit, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet open. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holy, holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. All that the priest did and the high priest did was on behalf of the people, but could not bring the people themselves in there. The way into the holiest of all was not open to them, was not even really open to the priests, and was not fully open to the high priest himself. And the reason why the uh, way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest is made clear in verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifice, sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. That is, they could not cleanse the conscience from dead works to serve the living God. They could not make true atonement for sin. The blood of bulls and goats cannot make true atonement for sin, and therefore cannot cleanse the conscience or perfect the conscience. This Divine service was concerned with earthly things. Concerned, verse 10, only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Until the time that our Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, has come. So all of that Old Testament service was an earthly kind of service and had severe limitations. It could not open the way into the most holy place because it could not perfect the conscience. 
And after then describing these limitations of that old ministry and that old sanctuary, the apostle goes on to talk about the heavenly sanctuary in verses 11 to 15. But, he says, Christ has come as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He serves in a more perfect tabernacle, a tabernacle not made with hands, with men's hands, a tabernacle not of this earthly creation. And he came to that better tabernacle with a better blood, not with the blood of bulls, of goats and calves, verse 12, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He came with his own blood, therefore, rather than the blood of bulls and goats. That blood of bulls and goats cleansed the flesh, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, it cleansed the flesh as a sign of spiritual cleansing, but it could not cleanse the spirit. But his blood, Christ's blood, cleanses the conscience. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He offered himself to God without spot. He offered his own blood to God. He offered through the eternal spirit. He offered in the heavenly sanctuary. And therefore, he cleanses the conscience, not just the flesh. And so he is the mediator of the new covenant, a better covenant. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death that is his own death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that is, his blood paid for the transgressions of his people also under the old covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance, that is, the promise of the heavenly inheritance, rather than the promise of the earthly inheritance in the land of Canaan. So there's uh, both close connection between the old and the new, and separation. There are old and new tabernacles, there's an old priesthood and a new priesthood. There are old sacrifices and a new sacrifice. The purposes of these things are the same, to bring the people near to God through the atonement and cleansing of sin. But the old covenant could not really accomplish that. It was a sign of what God would do in Christ. Christ is the one who brings us near to God, who opens to us the most holy place. So that's where we're going to end for today. This idea that Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and that he, therefore, has opened the way for us into the most holy place. What we're going to look at next week, then, is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and following. 
And we're going to pay close attention to the fact that in this passage, the apostle uh, narrows down the idea of covenant to the idea of a last will and testament and speaks then of the necessity of the death of the testator. So may God bless you with his word until then.